Today, we are going to be talking about walking in our healing as we just finished our 40-day fast. And um, next week, as you heard, we're going to be starting a new series about um, being the Joshua generation and, and journeying into promise. And in this in-between moment of ending one thing and starting another, we're going to reflect a little bit on some of the things that we've learned from the fast and how to continue to walk into healing and walk into this period of now fighting for our promises. Um, so with that, I want us to think about what I would call something called the looking into the sky syndrome. It's something that it's easy to fall into um, after something like a fast, a 40-day fast, or even post-Easter. Let's go back to that moment after Jesus was resurrected. It says in the Bible that for 40 days, he appeared to his disciples and giving them convincing proofs that he was indeed alive. In fact, um, we have several stories that the gospel writers record, and I like one of them. It's my favorite where John talks about how Jesus surprised the disciples um, one morning on the on the beach on the side of um, beach side of the Sea of Galilee when the disciples had all night fishing excursion, and Jesus surprises them with a with a catch of fish, um, surprisingly. But then also he prepared breakfast for them of hot um, fish on coals with fresh bread. I'm like that's so neat. And then he ate with them. He gave them instructions. That's the kind of thing he did for those 40 days. He appeared to his disciples and and talked with them and ate with them, giving them instructions on what to do. So what was to be the last meal he had with them? Um, They didn't know, but he ate with them, and then they gathered around him. And it says that he was taken up from them, and he was raised, and he was raised into heaven. So he started, he was raised, lifted up, flying in a sense into heaven and and it was going higher and higher and higher and finally it says a cloud covered him so they weren't able to see him anymore but the disciples just stopped stop looking couldn't stop looking into the sky they wanted to just hold on to this moment it was so special if it was up to them they wouldn't have wanted to let Jesus go and they just even though he was out of sight, they just wanted to stay there. They didn't want to move. And then they were surprised out of that moment. And it says in Acts chapter 1, verses 10, 11, it says they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, We'll come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. They said, what are you doing? Get going, guys. Why are you staring and looking up into the sky? Jesus will come back, but you got things to do. Get going. Get going. And you know what? Like those disciples, oftentimes when we've experienced some precious time with Jesus, a time where we've experienced healing, a time where we're, this time of post-Easter where we're remembering what Jesus has done for us. And we're kind of reveling in that time of, God, thank you. And that's a good moment. But the thing is, sometimes we want to hold on to a moment, hold on to a blessing, 
that is now Jesus has moved on, but we want to stay there and we're stuck looking into the sky. That's the looking into the sky syndrome. Other times, I think we can experience something called, I would say, the post fast blues or the post Easter blues, where you know you've been trying and putting all your effort into something and really seeking after God. And then, you know, with all that effort, when something ends, there's somehow a letdown because you had a plan before and you were really working at it. And yet there's something that you feel almost like an adrenaline rush, but you also know something good is happening, right? But then now it's over and you feel kind of lost. Like, now what do I do, right? Like, what, what do I, how do I continue what I've been doing? And it can almost feel like a downer. So that's the post-fast blues, which maybe you might be experiencing. But today, the word that God has for us is this. You peers of Los Angeles, why are you staring up at the sky? Get going. Get going. God has healed you. Continue. Move on. Walk in your healing. That's the word that God has for us today. And we're going to look at two stories of people who experienced healing and what they did with it in the book of John. So we're going to look at two stories. The first story is from John chapter 5, uh, John chapter 6. And we're going to see the story of how Jesus was in Jerusalem. So let's get into this moment where um, he's in Jerusalem for a festival, and people think it was the Passover festival. And he encounters a man who he found out was an invalid for 38 years. I think 38 years is more than how old most of us have lived and that might be watching today. It's a long time to be an invalid, right? Jesus has compassion on this man. And he, once he finds out, he heals him, saying these words. He says, get up, take up your mat and walk. And the man has faith in what Jesus says and he obeys. He gets up and he, has, he feels for the first time as he's doing this motion of what he thinks would be getting up, he gets strength in his body and his legs that had never, not never, but hadn't stood for 38 years. And he begins to see that I have strength. He gets his mat and he begins to walk. He begins to walk. And he is amazed. Can you imagine the kind of, what he did? I mean, I, he must have made a ruckus. He must have shouted. He must have jumped. He must have just, it, it was an incredible moment where he, what used to not work now works. And so he's, he's shouting, making a ruckus. A crowd is gathering around him. But that joy is short-lived because soon after, there are people who take notice of him that begin to criticize him and not only criticize him, this is what happens. The leaders of, of the people, of the Jews, uh, they saw this man who was healed, but they didn't see his healing. They focused on what he was carrying. He was carrying his mat. He was carrying a load. And the way they interpreted the law at that time 
was that if you were carrying a load on the Sabbath, and it was Sabbath day, you were breaking the Sabbath law. And Exodus says, if you break the Sabbath law, you should be stoned to death. It was a serious infraction of the law. By that time, we don't know if they were really stoning people, but it was serious. It was a grave sin to do. So they pointed it out to that man. What you are doing is forbidden on the Sabbath. Immediately, the man is faced with opposition. So what does he do? You know, many of us, we know that once we experience an amazing thing and God's mercy and grace in our lives, some blessing, some experience of inner healing, physical healing, relational healing, whatever it is, a blessing of experiencing his goodness in our lives, how soon after, we don't have to wait long before something comes at us that tries to invalidate that healing, that takes our focuses away from the healing and into something else. The man caves into the fear. And you know what he does at that moment? Because the one who causes someone to sin is at greater fault than the one who sins. So he immediately says, the man who healed me, he's the one who told me to take up my mat and walk. And then the leaders say, well, where is this man? Who is, who is it that told you this? And then the man looks around and he can't find the one who healed him. He didn't know it was Jesus, but Jesus had slipped away into the crowd. And then we see and hear something else that happens in the story. It says later, Jesus went and he found the man. Jesus came and searched for the man. And this is what he did when he searched for the man. He said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Jesus did not just care about this man's physical healing. Jesus wanted this man to be healed and whole, not for the moment, but for eternity. And Jesus said, you are on a path right now that is derailing you from your healing, not only your physical healing, but for your eternal healing, your heart healing, your, your life on earth and for beyond. He says, something worse is going to happen to you if you don't stop this path you're on. And he loves the man, so he seeks after him. And what does the man do in response? How does the man respond to Jesus' act of grace in finding him out? Now that Jesus has revealed his identity to this man, the man goes straight to the Pharisees and he tells them, it was Jesus who healed me. The man quickly rats Jesus out, puts the blame on him, turns Jesus in in a sense. This is an example of what we see when we are faced after a healing with a challenge, with opposition, with something that Satan does to cast doubt into us. What do we do with that? Are we going to be like this man who caves into the fear, who cares more about the moment and about saving himself? rather than looking in faith at the one who healed him. If Jesus had the power to heal him of 38 years of paralysis 
and loved him enough to then seek him out to warn him, would he not look to Jesus, the one to trust that, hey, you know what? No matter what I face, this man is the one I'm going to follow. I'm going to keep following this man, the one who cared for me enough to heal me and seek me out. You know, it's a warning and it's a call for us because we, we know we are immediately going to be faced with something. Last Sunday, some of you know, I was on my way to church service and I hit a car. It was my fault. And immediately I started berating myself in my head. You're so stupid. How could you do that? And then I'm just feeling really down now, you know, and the sense of just the feeling of on my way to worship the Lord, you know, give him the praise here as we're coming to service. And now I'm just, I'm just beating myself up mentally, you know, it's something that in, in, in many ways, as simple as that, we don't have to say it's all from Satan and what happens, but what we do with it and how Satan can now bring worry into our mind and how we respond to it and how we, it's our choice. What do we do now? What do we do? How do we continue to walk in our healing? And Jesus is telling us, continue to walk on your healing. Don't focus on the things that can happen in your life that will derail you. Let's look at another example. Let's look at another example. And it's also in the book of, jo- uh, book of John, chapter 12. It's a story that um, we also looked into a, num- a couple weeks ago. And it's the ending, in a way, of that story. We learned about how Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And this was a sermon on inner healing. Um, after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, um, some days later, not sh- shortly after, Lazarus, Martha, and Mary, his sisters, they invite Jesus into their home for a special meal. We're going to read verses 1 through 3, chapter 12. It says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Jesus was coming to her house. Mary was so excited. And she wanted to express how much, how thankful she was to Jesus and how much she loved him. And we get a a picture of how much she wanted to do that by the actions that she took next. She thought about what was the most precious thing that I can give to to Jesus. And when she thought about that, she thought about her perfume. Her perfume that was worth, it says in the Bible, a year's wages. A year's wages worth of perfume. If you look it's in online, I did a quick search. What is average salary of Los Angeles a year? 50 to 60,000, right? Something like that. A $50,000 jar of perfume, right? She decides 
this is what I'm going to give to Jesus. And how is she going to do it? Well, if you have a perfume that is this precious, you know, you only need a little bit of it to go far. And normally the way that you would put it on, you would just get a very small bit and put it on, the, uh, on a few spots of your body where you know the scent will come up, be, um, be expressed best. Well, this is what she decides to do. She takes a pint, the pint of this perfume, and when Jesus comes for dinner and he's reclining at the table, she goes to Jesus' feet and she pours a pint of it on his feet. And then she thinks about this too. What am I going to wipe his feet with now? And she doesn't think a cloth is good enough for his feet. She says, the next thing I can think of that is precious enough that can even touch his feet. I'm going to use my hair. So she uses her hair to wipe his feet. Hair was considered a woman's crown of glory. That's a verse that's used in the Bible, right? Something that's very precious to a woman. She uses her hair to touch Jesus' feet. And she does it in front of everyone. She doesn't care who's watching. And you know what? She comes under fire right away for it. Because one of Jesus' disciples, Judas Iscariot, criticizes her and says, Lord, you know what? What a waste. This perfume could have been sold and then given to the poor. But Jesus comes to her defense right away and says, leave her alone. What she has done was in preparation for my burial. When we think about how Mary responded when she experienced Jesus healing her brother, there was nothing, no gift too big enough in her heart that she could give to him. She thought of what is the most precious thing that she could give, and she offered it to him. And the way she did, all the aspects of it, just show how much she considered the Lord in her life, how precious he was to her. And that's how we walk in our healing. When we've experienced God's goodness, post-Easter, post-resurrection, as we recognize the sacrifice that God's done on the cross for us and the victory that he's gone, run for us in his resurrection, is there any gift too big that we can give to our Savior? During the 40-day fast, what many of us did was to think about what it is that we were going to give up so that we could draw closer to the Lord. You know, we put some thought into it. You know, there are people who thought about um, giving up social media, um, food, um, some kind of habit. Some people chose to participate in morning prayers throughout the fast. We did it because we had the intention. We wanted to pursue the Lord in some way. We wanted to draw closer to Him. And then we were thoughtful about the things that we chose to give. Now that the fast is over, is it really any different? Do we, are we now going to say, I'm free. I do whatever I want, right? No, we know our heart is the same. We're going to continue to pursue the Lord. It is different than a season of set fasting in that way. But it, the call to give our hearts fully to the Lord in response to who he is, 
what he's done, the healing he's brought in our lives, is the same. We still were responding to the Lord's goodness. And we want to be thoughtful about the gift that we give and the best that we can do and the gift that we give. So I know, actually, from even the sharing that we had at the end of the fast, that people are already thinking about, you know, now that I've finished this fast, what did I learn from it? And maybe there's some parts of this fast that I can even continue to incorporate in my everyday walk with the Lord. How someone mentioned how they might approach social media differently now that, well, I can go back on, but maybe there's a different way I'm going to approach it. Maybe some of us experienced the blessing of fasting food and realized, hey, it did bring me closer to the Lord in some way. Do I want to maybe consider doing a fast once a month? Something that for the sake of giving my heart to the Lord and setting apart time in some way. It's now time for the daily, the daily offering to the Lord, the daily things. Our devotional for the 40-day fast, it is over, right? But will we continue on our devotions? Are we going to continue to seek the Lord? Yes, I hope we will. We commend to you the Durano Living Life devotional that we've been doing even before the fast as a church. It's an excellent devotional, and I hope you will join in if there isn't one you're already doing. What does your prayer life look like? How are you intentional and thoughtful about giving your best to the Lord in your prayer life, setting apart times of prayer? You know, what does it look like to be in community? Because that is also seeking the Lord. We are the body of Christ. We all belong to one another. We don't know when this quarantine is going to end. We all hope soon and God willing, soon as possible. But you know, we don't know. So we need to stay steady. Are you seeking out the relationships, the small groups? It's not easy, we know. But stay steady. Keep seeking the Lord. Be thoughtful about your devotion to Him. Be thoughtful. And the thing that Jesus told his disciples in his instructions to him before he was raised, over and over and over, he commissioned them. He told Peter, feed my sheep. In in Matthew 28, he says, make disciples of all nations. As we pursue God, we see what's close and and dear to his heart, our people, our lost sheep. So continue, let's continue in praying and seeking the salvation of people in our lives. Are you, are, is it hard for you to think about how to share the gospel? We have a speaker coming in, Spencer Kim, to talk about bringing the kingdom into our lives, talking about Jesus, how to do that with people in our lives. Let's continue to walk in our healing. Because we have a choice. We have a choice each and every day to choose what we're going to focus on. Last week, Esther talked about in her testimony during the fast, she experienced the death of two precious people in her life. And we know, we know that this life is going to be filled with hardships and sufferings. And sometimes we are not going to experience the answers to our prayers. God is still faithful. We serve a Lord who was raised from the dead and who has won 
the final victory. And as Esther shared, this Lord sent his Holy Spirit to us to comfort us when we grieve, to give us direction because he's our counselor, and to empower us to continue to be a witness and walk faithfully with him. So make a choice. Make a choice in what you're going to do. After this fast and walking forward, what are you going to focus on? Are you going to focus on the setbacks, on the trials? Are you going to be staring up at the sky, just waiting? What are you waiting for? Or are you going to offer Jesus your very best? Seeking him, pursuing him with all of your heart. 